Welcome to our podcast series, Talking with Traders, hosted by expert trader Garth McKenzie in London, from where he's interviewing various guests on the topic of trading. Welcome to season three of the Talking with Traders podcast series with me, Garth McKenzie. Backed by popular demand following the first two seasons, I'll bring you a string of interviews over the next 10 weeks with a number of seasoned traders in my network to give you a first-hand insight into how they trade the world's financial markets so successfully. The first two seasons of this podcast have had over 20,000 downloads of the interviews, so I've used this traction to seek greater global reach for the third season. A special word of thanks must go to our sponsors, IG Markets, for continuing to fund this podcast and to allow it to flourish. In season three of Talking with Traders, I've gone beyond the borders of South Africa to speak to traders from across the globe. I'll ask pertinent questions of each of my guests to really try and get them to open up about what makes them consistently successful when it comes to taking on the world's financial markets. Joining me on today's Talking with Traders podcast is Stephen Goldstein. He's based in London and he runs Alpha R Cubed. He's a trading coach and an executive coach, a former trader, still does trade a bit, um, but predominantly now coaches traders and has a lot to say about that. So Stephen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Pleasure to be here, Garth. Thanks very much. Stephen, let's go back to the beginning of your career. Um, what got you involved in the markets right in the beginning? And can you tell us a little bit about the path that your career has followed to get from where you started to where you are today as a trading coach? Yeah, yeah. So, so we, we go all the way back to the mid-1980s. Um, and I was, uh, I suppose you could say, early 20s working in... London, working in banks, actually not investment banks, but literally a bank in a high street bank. Um, found it very boring and uninspiring. And the city was only just starting to open up, the, the city of London. Um, trading was just beginning as we know it now. Uh, the markets, had, had, uh, we had what was called Big Bang in the UK, uh, which was part of a process of deregulating and opening the markets. And we had the uh, the futures exchanges started to open up in the UK. Banks started getting involved in foreign exchange trading activities. Um, it, some of the early interest rate derivative products it just started all around that mid-80s time. And I knew a few people, I bumped into a few people that were working in jobs in banks in the city. And it just sounded really exciting. I didn't know anything about it, what it was, um, what it entailed. But, uh, you know, they were talking about, you know, leaving their boring job and earning 10 times as much money, you know, within a couple of years. And <laughs> that sounded very exciting. So um, I applied for a job uh, with really nothing going for me in terms of uh, qualifications or anything. I hadn't been to university, had some uh, pretty low-key school results. Um, I was quite good numerically, so I was always good at being at a um, with numbers and thinking off the top of my head. And uh, I landed a job at a Japanese bank in their trading room as a trading room assistant in 1985, I think it was. And then within a year, within a year well, actually within about two years, they've thrown me into a trading desk role, but not really trading. And then um, I think it was October 1987, they gave me my first 
first book to run, which was quite an interesting time. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Baptism by fire. Um, it wasn't in stocks. It was in uh, it was in rates and FX, but it was uh, all markets were affected by what happened that week. And that was literally my first position that I ran was the week before. That was a, a Japanese yen rates position. Um, so it was, it was very interesting. Obviously, like everyone else, I was doing a little bit of small penny investing at that time. That had become very much in vogue for young uh, young people, traders and non-traders alike. Um, so and then, of course, October '87 happened. That was like, uh, it, you know, it was, <laughs> it was like being hit by a tsunami. Mm. And um, so that was my my early experiences. And then I uh, I carried on in that job. Uh, I moved to a small Norwegian bank uh, in the late 80s and then I moved to the, the Swiss bank, Credit Suisse, in the early 90s. Um, my early trading, no one really showed you how to do it. You kind of learned from people around you who also didn't really know how to do it. You know, we were all learning from each other. It was sink or swim. It was very little regulation. Um, the people running it didn't know what, what the other people would do, but there was just a lot of money being made. Um, you can always think of it as, you know, a little bit of the wild west in those days. And, you know, probably not surprising that in a, a very short space of time, you know, we had quite a few market blow ups, things like Lehman's and, uh, oh, not Lehman's, sorry, bearings, things like that. But I, I was learning what you probably now call relative value trading. That was kind of the niche I ran into. Um, trading different products um, in the in bond and rates and FX world. It would go into one sort of bucket and that you could offset against each other. Um, we would call it arbitrage in those days and you would try and capture a very slim spread in high volume. Um, and and that, that was pretty much my early year experiences doing that. It wasn't trading of the type that probably most of your audience are familiar with, but there was a little bit of that going on around it. Um, but I lost interest in that. I found it very boring and dull. It didn't really excite me. There didn't seem to be an awful lot of skill to it. Um, I was also market making some products in the rates markets around that time, which I didn't really enjoy either, if I'm honest. It was uh, it was quoting things for clients and then being hit and then having to try and get out. Um, if you had a book that was really active, you could make a lot of money doing it. But if you had a book that was quite peripheral and you had some very large say early hedge fund clients hitting you in those days they could wipe out your PL uh, very quickly so I, I kind of gravitated more towards propriety trading that's what i wanted to do that's what i liked that's what i enjoyed it was the puzzle uh, part of it that i liked so by the mid 90s i was running a propriety trading book i was doing well they throw me onto a new propriety trading desk at credit suisse i suppose in a sense i'd you know I'd had a couple of really good years and become a little bit of a, a rising star, um, which is when I hit the buffers. <laughs> you know, your 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 bed get, your head gets a little bit too big. You you believe your own publicity, um, and uh, and um, you know, I, I, I sort of it became a big setback in my career, sort of mid nineties, and, uh, and and then we had uh, some internal politics going on. Um, I left the bank and I moved to the German bank, Commerzbank, where I was, um, they, they tried to hire me once I realised I was available. Um, so I worked there for about seven years, but it wasn't a particularly good place for me to work. Again, lots of politics going on. Um, 
the job did turn out to be the job I wanted. I moved around a little bit, but became a little bit institutionalized there. So kind of my career sort of slipped back late 90s. And then around about the year 2000, I had a coach, uh, an executive coach. And uh, he, he helped me enormously sort of start to discover who I was um, start to examine my process, my practice, um, to reflect a lot on how I did my job. He wasn't a trading coach, although he did a lot of work in trading businesses. He, he generally worked with the leaders and managers. Mm. And uh, that, that, that period catalyzed something for me. And then after that, I, I came out and I started working far more effectively, far more productively as a trader. I left Commerce Bank soon after that and went to um, the banking arm of American Express, where I was supposed to be running their swaps portfolio. But I effectively became a, a proprietary trader there and uh, had a really good run of success, a really strong run there, um, trading mostly in the rates markets, bond markets, bond futures markets. Um, and, and then I, I did that until they were taken over by Standard Chartered in 2008 as the financial crisis was coming to an end. Um, and I worked in there, but they didn't really want prop traders within their London office. They, they, uh, they were mostly a flow business. And, uh, and, and that, that brought that to an end. And that was, uh, that, I suppose, in a sense, I traded for myself from home for a year. I did okay, but I didn't enjoy it. And um, that, that's when actually I was, I was looking to join a hedge fund, bizarrely, my, my old coach was now doing a lot of work with hedge fund traders and he introduced me to a few to see if I could uh, take my work, what I was doing there, into a hedge fund. But he also suggested the idea of maybe becoming a coach myself. And that's where I started practicing. I decided I wanted to go down that road, did a little bit of trading whilst I was also developing myself as a coach and starting a bit of work as that. But I, I couldn't focus really on the two of them. I, could, I was either one or the other. As a trader, I was full on, and I think I think you have to be full on as a trader. You give it, you either give it your all, or uh, you know, you, you, I, it, it's hard to do both. I know there's some people that do manage to do it. I wasn't one of those, and uh, I kind of stopped doing professional trading. I still run a small book. I still do a few trades here and there, but it's just a it's just a hobby now. Right. Fascinating story. Now you, um, as a coach now, you said to me that you coach hedge fund traders, um, investment bank traders. You also have retail traders that you coach as well. So quite a broad spectrum of different people that, that you coach within your business. But uh, what in your mind makes a trader successful? What separates the, su the successful traders from the vast majority of people that are unsuccessful at trading? Oh, it's, a, it's a big question. Um, luck, luck plays a big part. Um, you know, for example, if we go back to me, you know, I found myself in a bank. I found a bank job. You know, you learn trading. Um, you get mentored through that process, whether it's direct, you know, whether it's, it's deliberate or not. And that started me off in that process, and that puts you on a path. And I guess I was lucky like that. Um, so luck plays a part in some sense and you know I, I you know you, you, you get somebody else's capital to trade with whilst you learn uh, you get support so so in a sense you know luck plays a part 
Um, but then you've got to turn that luck into something. Um, so you have to have certain qualities, certain traits. Uh, it, it's such a big question. Um, but, you know, for retail traders, for the ones I look at now and that I work with now, um, you, have to, you have to start, you have to do the hard work. Um, that's one thing. You have to learn the job. You know, so many people I meet, especially retail traders, go into this with massive um, unrealistic expectations. Yeah. You know, they think anyone could do this. Uh, they think it's easy. You know, I, I'm going to be honest, I don't think despite all that luck, I don't think I became a good trader till 13 years into my career. You know, and I, I was, that's why I talk about luck. I was lucky enough to stay in it and get paid and earn an income. You know, I, I was erratic. I had some really good periods and some really mediocre periods. Um, but being in the job, you could say, kept me in it and, uh, and allowed me to become good. Other people I know, you know, it's very rare that people are good off the bat. There are one or two people that, um, that, for one reason or another, usually very specific reasons, will be good off the bat. But most people I know takes five, six, seven years to become half decent. You know, and it, it, I, I use a comparison to boxing. You know, if you decide I'm going to become a boxer, you know, you're not going to walk in the ring day one with Floyd Mayweather. No. You know, but in trading, you are. You know, trading day one, you're out there in the same ring as the Ray Dalios and. Paul Tudor Joneses and uh, you know the, the legends of the market and the guys that were doing it you know 10 15 20 years that you never heard of they are on the other side of your trades so you know you, you just got to use those early years for learning yeah. and, and learn as much as you can and they also have unrealistic they don't understand the job you know they, they think it's about predicting where markets go but it's absolutely not and that may surprise a few people listening um, obviously you have to do that you have to do your research your background you've got to try and identify market direction and market opportunities but really you're trying to find setups and you know it can take years to realize that's the nature of what you're trying to do and then your the skill is monetizing that you know that that's the hard part of the job that is the job though so so you know people mistake what trading is for prediction uh, um, and you know, I meet people who've been doing this job 10, 15 years and they suddenly get it when they talk about that. And, um, you know, I've had a number of retail trading, trading clients who usually the, the luck in them for them is that they've, they've got a lot of money to start with. They've, they've had maybe successful businesses or a windfall somewhere. Um, and, and then they decide they want to try trading and they think they can do it again you know pretty quickly because they've been successful somewhere else mm. and the luck is that they've got enough money to last years not making any money but <laughs> you know they, they try they, they, they think it's learning about analysis they think it's about getting lots of research they think it's about um, trying to find a, a magic formula or a silver puller or great system and and they just they just don't get there but they have enough time and energy to stay in it till they do chance upon something or till they decide to start working with a coach or somebody else or, or a mentor they might come across someone who, who mentors them um so there's, there's a lot of luck involved um 
but there's so many elements to what makes a great trader. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 you know, we could do a dozen podcasts about it and still never get to the end of that question. Yeah, no, absolutely. Look, I mean, I know in my business as well, you see guys come and go and, um, yeah, it's, it's what you said about the time in the markets that it's that Malcolm Gladwell theory of the 10,000 hours that you need to put the 10,000 hours in to actually get to that point of proficiency in anything. There's no yeah. quick, there's no quick fix in this business. And I often say to people, it's like, you know, like anything, you know, you want to go and study to be an architect or a lawyer or an accountant or a doctor, you know, how many thousands of hours do you invest of your time into that, you know, to get to that level of professionalism before you can actually go out and be a lawyer or a doctor or a architect. And, um, and trading should be no different, but there does seem to be this mystique around trading that it's, it's an easy thing and you can, you know, go and attend a quick course and on Monday you can start trading. And as you say, you know, you, you get onto the same playing field as the Ray Dalios and the, um, Paul Tudor Joneses of the world. It's just not as simple as that. Um, and unfortunately I think trading, it, it does have this mystique, but it also attracts a lot of charlatans, I guess in the sense that the, there are plenty of charlatans out there trying to dress it up to be more uh, more glamorous than what it is and easier than what it really is. And I guess you've yeah. seen that in your career plenty, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'll give you a clue about that. And I'm, I'm going to link this to the New Market Wizards book, which comes out at the time we're doing this. It comes out next week. Yes. And I've got three clients in there that I've coached. And... One of them, his, his name's, well, I, I, I wouldn't mention it normally, but uh, he's featured in the book, so everyone's going to know about him. His name is Daljeet Daliwell. And he's a client who over the past 12 years has has grown. And initially, he didn't actually put his own money into it. He had a line of credit from a prop firm that he uh, he managed to get a job in. And they, they taught him and they mentored him and they, you know, they, they showed him different methods. Um, which is part of that. That's why I'm saying the training is so important. And they gave him a line of credit of £30,000 to start with. Mm. And, you know, he's, over the last 10, 12 years, you know, I can't tell you how much he's made because it's, it's not featured in there and that's not for me to reveal it. But it's it's an awful lot of money and his, his track record, he's been compounding close to 300% annually ever since then. Um, mm. And he's a phenomenal trader. And I've been coaching him for the past four years now. And he, I asked him a couple of years ago, you know, at which point in your career, you know, this trading, how far into it do you get to the point where you thought, yeah, this year I'm going to definitely make money. I, I can feel it. It's not, you know, I, I now trust myself to make money. And he said it was about five or six years. So, you know, those, that's about 10,000 hours, yes. you know, and, and that's with support and backing, mm. you know, and that was with being in an extraordinary team. You know, he was in an extraordinary group. Three of them are featured in this book. You know, there's other ones in that team that aren't featured that I know are incredible. So I think they kind of all learned from each other. It was a really rare group. Um, and, you know, they, they, they developed together and blossomed together. And, you know, you could call that luck. You could say that's part of the luck, you know, just getting in this firm and then being part of that group, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, 
it, it just shows you, you know, and I've asked this question to quite a few of my guys, my clients over the years, and they say anywhere from five years to seven, eight years. And, and you know, when I look back at my own career and I said, I don't think I became good until 13 years into my career, uh, I didn't really start prop trading for till about six, seven years into my career. So you could kind of say that's when I started, which means if you take it from that point, it was probably about six years of prop trading before I really got it. Yeah, yeah. Now, risk management is a huge um, component of trading and, and trading success. Um, and to this end, you know, the clients that you coach, what, what sort of risk tolerance do you find they typically have? What, what do they typically risk as a percentage of their capital on any one trade? Okay, so again, this varies um, from trader to trader and, uh, and also style to style as well. Yeah. Um, so if someone's running a relative value portfolio or a portfolio approach when they've got, say, a long short portfolio, it, it will be very different. It's very hard to always quantify. Um, you know, it, if, if you're running a portfolio, you tend to try and use as much of your capital as possible. And, and the risk is really measured in a different way. You know, if, you, if, you're, if you're sitting long of, I, I don't know, you're long of Microsoft or maybe short of Apple, you haven't got the outright risk of the whole stock sector going up and down. Mm. Um, so quantifying that is quite an art. If you're doing directional trades, uh, the guys I know would do anything from maybe 0.1% uh, of their capital to 1%, maybe 2%, depending on certain factors and aspects. Yes. I don't know too many that would risk more than 1%, at least in the initial part of a trade. Um, and then and, and then maybe, you know, they, they'll allow that, but they'll allow a drawdown of maybe 5% occasionally, right. only very occasionally. Mm. But, you know, there's always accentuating circumstances. So what people will risk on a trade and the way they manage the risk in their portfolio, two separate things, and people have to get their heads, their heads around that. Yes, yeah. Do you find that these guys have very set rules in terms of how they trade? Now, do they have specific setups that they look for that, and they will only trade on those specific setups? Or is there a fairly, fairly broad, um, re, you know, relaxed approach in terms of a market gut feel, I guess you could call it? Um, how do you differentiate between that? You know, what, what do the guys that you typically coach look like in that respect? You're listening to Talking With Traders, a podcast series brought to you by IG, a world-leading online trading and investment provider. If you haven't checked out the IG online trading platform, please do so and visit IG.com. Also, make sure you subscribe to the podcast series on your favorite podcast app or website by clicking on the subscribe button and you'll be notified weekly as we release new episodes. Okay, so, so the ones, I, I would say yes is the answer to the people who succeed. No is the answer to the people who are struggling. In the, you know, I, I, I believe you've got to create a, your playbook. You won't succeed until you create your playbook. Yeah. And your playbook will have certain setups that suit you, that you know are that you're able to trade off. Um, 
and most people don't have an established playbook they're just like i'm going to come in and i'm going to you know <laughs> i suppose you're a cricket guy like me yeah. being south african yep. you know they'll just start smacking it all over the place without really trying to refine their art do you know what I mean? Whereas Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> great cricketers, yeah, great cricketers will know the shot they want to take and, and, and you know, they'll perfect it and they'll have certain, you know, techniques and styles and moments that work for them. And the rest of the time they're trying to find that shot. Mm. Um, so they're, they're playing defensive, you know, they're, they're trying to, they're trying to sneak things here and there. Um, but, you know, you know, that they're, they're, they're they have a playbook, you know, and you see that in every sports, you know, every sports person has a playbook. They have situations that don't work for them and situations where you do work for them. And, and you've, you know, and you've got to, you've got to know when those situations are and that becomes your edge. Now it doesn't mean you're not trading because you're always in the market. You're, you're trying to fish, you know, like cricketer, cricketer, you're always trying to play a shot to just find angles and find weaknesses in the field and, you know, find opportunities. You know, you don't have to rip. The truth is that between the, you know, the start of the run up and the ball leaving the guy's hand, you can't consciously think, "What shot am I going to play here?" Mm. Um, but when you become that good, you 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 allow it to happen. And it's the same in trading. You know, these guys they get to know when they are. And the most extraordinary trader in the book uh, is a guy called Emirates Sal, and I've I coached him as well. And I used to call him the sniper and funnily enough he's called the unicorn sniper in the book okay. and, and that means that he's looking for unicorns all the time these rare things that come along right. and he acts like a sniper and i called him a sniper because he would wait to take the perfect shot and when the perfect shot wasn't there he wouldn't take it and it wasn't just about taking the perfect shot if you know anything about sniping the sniper must know they've got an escape plan before they can take the shot they won't take the shot if there's any danger they're going to get caught and found and almost certainly killed. So it, it, it's that mentality. So he, he built his playbook. He developed his playbook over years. He honed it. And, and the playbook does change. It's not to think it can't change. But you do have a certain type of trade or setup or series of setups that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Not personality type is also interesting in trading because I've, you know, I've read in so many books that say that you, you know, you need to find a style of trading that matches your personality type. Um, yep. And I find myself sitting at the moment in, in, in where the trading room where I'm currently working, I mean, I have my own personality and I'm sitting alongside a guy who's got a slightly different personality to me. And I can see it so clearly, you know, he's, he's into motorbikes and fast cars, whereas I'm not. And, and, the trading styles that we each adopt are quite different in that respect. How important do you believe that is that you, you have to find a style that matches your personality? And if there's a mismatch that you're not going to succeed. hundred percent important. I wish I could say a thousand percent, but <laughs> you know, obviously it, it, it is key. This is key. And I, I, I analyze every single trader that I work with. I use a personality tool called the risk type compass. Um, and you can hear an episode on my podcast a few months ago with uh, the guy who created that and it identifies people by their personality. Now, a few years ago, um, myself and a colleague uh, ran some analysis on a group of PMs at a, a large hedge fund to try and identify the firm's, the organization's DNA. 
um, in terms of personality and it had a certain type and ever since then I've used this tool and I did some of my own private research to see if there were any patterns in personality that could tell me whether certain personalities were more likely to succeed than others and the answer was no you, I found people of every single personality type and degree of personality that was succeeding um, but the important thing was that they were working every single one of them was working in ways that really aligned to their personality and, and over the years I've noticed people not working in ways that aligned to their personality really struggling really not you know really underperforming um, they're more fearful they're more they lack confidence once you hone your way of working in a way that fits your personality you're going to be far more successful you, you, you it's it's a huge edge you know you're slowly tipping the odds in your favor so you might want to liken it to to physical build in that sense in that if you're built um powerfully and you decide you want to go into athletes you know you want to become a hundred meters runner you don't want to become a marathon runner because you don't have the body shape for it now you can run marathons it, it wouldn't mean that you can do it but it does mean that it doesn't matter how hard you try if you're working against the thin wiry guys who do just as much training as you they're almost certainly going to outperform you mm. um likewise they won't do nearly as well as you in sprint events you know if you've got a large build you probably want to do you know sort of field athletics throwing throwing events where you can use that that muscle mass and that body body size to really create extra power for the throwing but you're not going to be a runner there's nothing there's nothing you can do about that yeah you know and we have the same with our personality no one knows truly where your personality comes from but it's formed very early in your career very early in your life you know your early years you know well before you've even got into your teenage years um you know most of it in you know before you're three or four and you can't do anything about that you can't change your personality um you can change the way you are you can change your philosophy you can change your attitudes but you can't change your personality um unless of course you have some sort of traumatic event happen to you mm. so working with your personality is the key edge and if you're not working with it you're fighting against it and that's not a good place to be in as a trader right yeah fascinating now consistency is is obviously a big thing in trading as well um and, and and i suppose that also talks to what you were saying about having a playbook and being consistent to your playbook how do you find yeah i, I found it in my early years it's very difficult to to be consistent and to sort of stick to the rules how do you help traders to to be consistent and to to stick to their playbook without deviating too much from it Okay, so it, 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 for me as a coach, what I try to do is I try to shine a light on, on what they're doing and how they are and where they are. Um, and I try to shine a light on the method, the process that they're using, different stages of it. And in doing that, I, I'm, I'm trying to help them perhaps be more aware of how they're behaving of what they're doing as if they were watching themselves mm. so it's almost like you know if you could see yourself playing a sport and watch videos of it back with the coach you'll start to get a sense of really you know who you are and how you are 
Um, so that's what I try to do as a coach. Now, you know, you probably see things in your colleague that you're working with that he's not aware of. And, you know, if he was aware of them, he could be a much better trader, even if he's very successful now. Likewise, he could probably see things in what you're doing that you're not aware of. And if you could become aware of them and make changes around them into your coaching, you'd probably become much more, a much better trader, probably more consistent trader. Um, uh, probably you, you could then perform at a high level. You would trust yourself more. And then you probably paradoxically take more risk and upsize your risk scale because you trust yourself with it. So it comes back to that self-awareness piece to start with. You, you have to understand who you are. You have to understand what you're doing as well. A lot of people don't even realize what they're doing. You know, like they say, they come out, they start doing it, they start playing the game, but they're not, you know, they're not really aware fully of what the game is they're playing. So it, it, it's starting, you know, really trying to understand your risk process, what it is you're trying to do, why you're trying to do it, what the purpose of that is, what part of that could you take with you and what part could you throw away, what part's unhelpful, but also understand it in how you are you know, your personality, you know, if, if you're the excitable personality who gets, you know, quite emotional, you need to take some time to step back after both good periods and bad periods to reground yourself. Mm. But if you're one of those more centered people who doesn't feel the extremes as much, um, you can usually carry on a little bit more, but you're more likely to suffer periods of over-optimism Whereas the, the emotional person tends to pick up often much quicker on when they're going off balance. So it, it's almost like it's a paradox that the, the less emotional people still go off balance and out of sync with the market. But it's much harder for them to realise it sometimes because they're not feeling that they're not, they're not as in touch with their emotions, for example. Yeah. Um, so, so there's a lot about knowing yourself as well and who you are mm. and how you work. Sure, sure. That sort of leads me to the question I was going to ask you next anyway, in terms of, of um, drawdowns on a trading account, and obviously drawdowns, but also major periods of success. I mean, the markets and trading results I find tend to cluster. So you might have you know, winning streaks and, and losing streaks. And it's, it is a bit of a, it can be a bit of an emotional roller coaster. Um, you can get quite down in the dumps when you have a string of losing trades in a row, but you can also get quite exuberant when you have a string of winning trades in a row. And and like you said, sometimes the the string of winners can actually be the most dangerous ones because that's when you tend to want to throw the rule book out the window and become more aggressive. So in the in your experience, the best traders that you have coached and that you've come across, are they? I, mean, I presume they're also subject to these emotional swings, but. Are they, are they generally more centered people, as you refer to them? Are they quite even keeled and don't get too excited or too depressed? No, no, no. It, many of the best traders I work with are highly excitable and highly emotional. Um, okay. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it, there's this kind of myth of this kind of, you know, if we go back to the idea of, uh, if you know much about economics, you know, this idea of economic man who's got no emotions and you know, makes perfect decisions every time and uh, is not biased to anything. And, uh, you know, he doesn't exist. You know, he only exists on a sheet of paper. Um, and the same with traders, this idea of superstar traders being these cool, calm, collected people with no emotions and no egos, you know, they, they don't exist either. 
um, you might think there's people like that but you know the beauty of what I do is you know I have these amazing conversations with people very deep conversations and uh, you know often you know I'm told before I start coaching them you know if it's in an organization I'll be told by their manager or, or you know the person who's who's invited me in to work with that person that you know this person is is brilliant he's got no emotions he doesn't get upset he's like a nice man and then I get talking to them and they you know they really open up and you know you find that's not the case at all you know it's it, it's something they project externally um, and sometimes even that projecting of it can be problematic for them because they're holding it all within them mm. um, so it's it, it, you know we are emotional beings you, you can't help it that that's how we roll yeah. that's how you know it, it's like trying to lose your emotions you know it's, it's like trying to lose your shadow in the sunshine it's not going to happen um, it's always going to be there and but it, the other side of it is to think of it as your gift to think of it as you know that that is what makes you great as well you know every trader you know that ability to sense something and feel something and find an opportunity and intuit what is going on in the market into a trading opportunity that all comes from your emotions so if you deaden that you lose that um, so that's the first thing I'll say about that the second thing is you, you do have to manage them you do have to have structures um, that's why a playbook is so important because your playbook is the kind of the rule book or the guidebook that you can turn to when you're going off balance and on tilt yes. um, you know and, and everyone does it and, and you know it sets up the play you know a lot of people that I've spoke to over the year you know say I can get into a trade but I can't take profit or you know and therefore I end up giving it all back or I take it too early but if your playbook kind of has rules for how you grab profits or take profits or you know and they're related to how you lose and you know it's not just a set of structures it's got to fit within a risk process and a risk philosophy and and you know it's got to be related to how often you lose and how much you lose yes. you know there's no point having profits that are two to one if you lose three times as often as you lose mm. you know, it's just you know and if you even if you do a four to one and you, you win three times more than you lose you know you're not giving yourself a big margin there for when that goes offside yeah. so you know you, you you have to have strategies that you know for example when I made a lot of money you know it would be normally followed back by me giving me giving a lot of money back so you know one thing I had to do was after making a lot of money and having a really good trade you know that's when I was at my most dangerous mm -hmm. so I would generally have about a month and I wouldn't go back into that particular market and because I'm only going to give money back in it right. you know and I'm still the most important thing for me and this goes back to one of the great things of traders is closure letting go letting go mentally of every single trade that you've ever taken until you let go mentally you should never move on and carry on with that trade and, and I call letting go the super skills of great trading it's and letting go means lots of other things as well letting go of your ego your beliefs your fear of losing your need to be right but on an individual trade you must get mental closure not just physical closure before you can go back into that market yes yes okay now we, I, I could talk to you for hours Stephen I'm, I'm really <laughs> enjoying this but I know you've got to go somewhere soon and, and we are running 
towards the end of our allotted time for this podcast. So I've just got um, one or two more questions that I'd like to ask you. Um, first thing is, is what well, this one is, you know, if a startup trader comes to you uh, and wants to get involved in this business, they, they tell you they want to take up trading and do it professionally and try and make a living out of trading. What two or three main bits of advice would you give to a startup trader? Okay, so, so the first thing is, don't give up the day job. Uh, <laughs> you know, unless, unless you go five or six years and you've got enough money or other sources of income to support you, I'd probably say more than five or six years, you know, I'd say seven or eight years, because you don't want to rely on your income during that time. Um, you know, so there's a great story in the Market Wizards book about a guy called uh, uh, Pavel, uh, let me just look him up. Uh, I think it's Pavel Kretschke. He's a, he's a, a Czech trader. Right. And he, he was working as a bellhop during his early trading years. And he did that for many years, even when he started trading, when he started earning money. He kept that job going because it provided his income um, and allowed him to learn the job. And uh, it, the, the, the piece in the book is called The Barrel Hop Who Beat the Pros. That's the title for his chapter. Right. Uh, so he, he, he did that alongside the other one. I, I would say, you know, do not plan to live off your income. First of all, it's going to take you years to learn it. Secondly, you'll learn it properly if you don't need to rely on the income at that same time. And thirdly, you know, you need to build up some capital and some profits. You know, you're, you're going to be, you know, you're going to be so emotional if you just, if you have to live off it and you have to earn an income off it, that, that emotionality is going to push you to extremes. It's going to cause you to make bad decisions. So that would be my number one piece of advice. Um, the second thing is, you know, find, you know, do some reading, read some great books, read the Market Wizards books. But also, I, I tell people, read it, learn probabilistic thinking. You know, this job is not a job where you have rules that would define. You can't go out and say how to become, you know, a plumber or how to become, <laughs> you know, a clockmaker. And you could get a book on that. You can read that. Yeah. You can't do that with traders. It's not how to be a trader. Yeah. You know, you have to learn as you were doing it. But you have to have, you have to understand the nature of markets. So I encourage people to read uh, probabilistic thinking books. I, I've just uh, interviewed Annie Duke, who's a former poker player. Yes. Who's written a couple of great books, including a new one, How to Decide. Right. Um, I encourage people to read uh, not always the easiest books, but to read the works of Nassim Taleb to really understand the nature of uncertainty and luck and randomness and to realize how much that is a function or a factor in trading and in the work they're going to do and in the way their career is going to as a trader is going to progress. Um, so, and then just read some great, you know, biographies. Um, you know, there's so many around, you know, you know, find books from people who have succeeded. Um, as I said, all the Market Wizards books are out there, but, uh, and there's some other good books, like the work of Mark Douglas, you know, if you're going to start out, you've got to read his books. Yeah, Trading you know. in the Zone. It's one of my yes. favorite trading books. And, uh, yeah, absolutely. And his first book, both brilliant. Yeah, but, you know, books like, you know, Brett Steenbarger's work, uh, Van Tharp. You know, there's, there's just a wealth of knowledge and wisdom in those books. 
Yeah, no, that's right. I mean, there's so many brilliant trading books out there. I was going to ask you that, what trading books would you recommend? But I think you've pretty much answered the question um, <laughs> with, with some of those that you've mentioned there. And you talk about that, um, the Market Wizards book. It's called, uh, what's it called? Anonymous Market Wizards, I think. No, unknown, unknown, unknown Market sorry, Wizards. Unknown Market yeah. Wizards. And I know it's due to come out next week, I think the 3rd of November. I've got it um, loaded into my Audible app waiting and it's, I've paid for it and I'm waiting for it to come live. I can't wait to listen to the audiobook of that okay well i'm actually interviewing i'm inter interviewing jack schrager this evening for our podcast episode which comes out next week and then i'm also interviewing him live uh on a webinar for the society of technical analysts in a couple of weeks time and i, I can give you the link to that Please. by the way if you want it would be yeah. wonderful i mean to that extent how do how do people follow you if, if if there are people listening to this podcast who've not heard of you before um and first of all they must follow you on twitter because i absolutely love what, <laughs> you know everything you, you you tweet is fantastic so they've got to follow you on twitter um your your alpha what's it alpha at alpha mind 101 is it yes yes that's right okay so that's how yeah. you can follow you on twitter and your podcast that you run how can they access that um that's um uh alpha mind the alpha mind podcast it's it's me and a, a co-host mark randall who's a, a former trader and broker in the markets and he focuses more on the mindset side of trading so he's a brilliant uh if anyone wants coaching on mindset, he's fantastic mm. on that side. Um, but we, we do it together, and you'll find it on iTunes, Spotify, and it's basically all the main podcast sites. Or you can go to alpha-mind.net, um, and you'll see them there. And we're going to start putting them on YouTube soon. So we're going to be setting up an Alpha Mind 101 YouTube channel. I don't know how you do that, but someone's doing it for us. Okay, super. Well, I'll certainly look out for that. I can't, can't wait to see that. Well, Stephen, I'm going to have to end the interview there. It's, we've run out of time. Um, it's been really fascinating talking to you. I've thoroughly enjoyed every minute of this, and I think the listeners will enjoy it as well. Thank you very much. Um, I appreciate it. And, and yeah, I look forward to listening to that interview with Jack Schwager that you're going to be doing later. Okay, absolute pleasure, Garth. Yeah, thank thank you. you. And let's stay in touch. Thanks so much. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of Talking with Traders, brought to you by IG, a world-leading CFD provider. We really are privileged to have such a leader in the field of online trading involved in this series. Please follow us on Facebook and engage with us there. And a reminder to make sure you subscribe to the series by clicking the subscribe button on your favorite app. Till next time.